so last week we started discussing the chapter regarding magic and we mentioned the definitions of magic and the types of magic and we mentioned the opening ayat in this chapter that indeed they knew the ones who bought this they exchanged their guidance, the Torah for this magic that they would have no place in paradise in the hereafter. Similarly, yu'minuna bil jibti wa ta'ut. That they believe in al-jibti wa ta'ut. That they believe in this magic. And they believe in the shaitan. And similarly, uh, it is mentioned in the tafsir of Jabir. At-tawaghit kuhanun kana yanzilu alayhimu shaitan fi kulli hayyin wahid. The Tawagheet are these fortune tellers that the Shayateen used to go to in every area there was one. So the fortune tellers, Al-Kahin, huwa alladhi yukhbiru al-nasa anil mughayyibat. The fortune teller, the sorcerer, he is somebody who tells the people about absent things. Things which are unknown or unseen to us. Bisabab annahu yas'alu shayateen. By way of asking the shayateen, these fortune tellers, these sorcerers, they have the shayateen coming and telling them this information, so they then know where something is, something hidden, something unseen to us, unknown to us, they will know these things where they are. Because the shayateen will go and come and tell them where those things are. تُخْبِرُهُ الشَّيَاطِينَ عَنِ الْأَشْيَاءِ الْغَائِبَةِ وَالْأَشْيَاءِ الْمَسْرُوقَةِ الْمَفْقُودَةِ so perhaps somebody has an item stolen from them. Somebody has an item stolen from them, or an item that was lost. Uh, they may come to this fortune teller, and he may tell them where that item is. And that is because the jinn, the shayateen, they will go and uh, discover where this item is, and they will come and tell this sorcerer or magician that this item is in this place or that place, then he'll be able to tell the people, that thing which you lost, it's in that place over there somewhere. Or that thing which was stolen from you, it's going to be in such and such a place, go find it there. Because the shayateen, the jinn, they come and tell him these things, they can go and see where they are. So then the people start to think, that this magician or sorcerer knows the unseen. They think, how could he have known? How did he know it was going to be in that particular place where we went, it was exactly there. How did he know my lost item would be found on that place there? How did he know the stolen item was taken to that place there where we went? It was exactly there what he told us. So people start to believe that these magicians or fortune tellers or sorcerers have knowledge of the unseen. And it is not like that. They do not have knowledge of the unseen. The sorcerers, the fortune tellers, these people do not have knowledge of the unseen. Rather, that is the shayateen of the jinn who come and tell them about these absent things. Because these shayateen of the jinn, they are able, the shaykh says, they are able to fly 
They can fly quickly to places everywhere to see. والوصول إلى الأمكن البعيدة and they are able to get to far away places very quickly. حتى إنهم يسعدون إلى السحاب. The shayateen of the jinn they can even go up to the skies to the to the clouds. ويطيرون في الآفاق and they can fly up in the skies and the horizon everywhere. فهم يجوبون يجوبون الآفاق بسرعة. So they can quickly go across the horizon, fly across the skies everywhere. The jinn, the shayateen can do that. فَيَأْتُونَ بِالْأَخْبَارِ وَيُخْبِرُونَ الْكُهَانِ So they are able to go and cover a large area quickly, flying around and seeing everything. And they spot the lost item or they find this stolen item and they come and tell these sorcerers and these uh, magicians and fortune tellers. وَيَرَوْنَ الْأَشْيَاءَ الْمُغَيَّبَةَ فِي الْبُيُوتِ أَوْ فِي الْأَمْكِنَةِ لأنهم يدخلون بعض البيوت وعندهم مقدرة ليست عند الإنس فإذا تقرب إليهم الإنسي بما يريدون من الشرك والذبح لغير الله وسجود لهم فإنهم يخدمونه بما يريد فيظن الإنس أن هذا الكاهن عنده خبر من الغيب وأن له خاصية والحقيقة أن هذا كله من الشيطان So these shayateen of the jinn will go and fly to different places and they will discover and they will see where these items are. And they will come and tell these people, uh, these shayateen of the jinn may even go and enter into people's homes. They can do that. They can find the items in other people's homes that they might be stolen or hidden away. They find those things and they come and tell these sorcerers and magicians. And then they tell the people who come to them. So those people start to believe that these magicians know the unseen. And they start to believe that they know... Uh, the unseen, where these things are, where items are, they have this knowledge. That's what they start to believe then. And these magicians and sorcerers can only get these shayateen to do this for them, to go and find these items and come and tell them. If these sorcerers and magicians submit themselves to the jinn, to the shayateen, they prostrate to them, they slaughter for them, they do other worship for them, and then after the jinn, or after they do that for the jinn, then these shayateen of the jinn will help them and they will go and do these things and find the items. وَكَانُوا يُحَكِّمُونَهُمْ فِي الْمُنَازَعَاتِ وَالْخُصُومَاتِ وَكَانَ عِنْدَ كُلِّ حَيِّ كَاهِنٍ يعني عند كل قبيلة كاهن يحكم بينهم And previously, in the tribes and the people, they all used to have a sorcerer per tribe or per area. And whenever any issue occurred, the people of that tribe or that area would go to this sorcerer, the magician. He was the one recognized with status. They would go to him and he was the one who rules between the people. He would be the one who judges between the people. That's how they used to elevate these magicians and sorcerers amongst them in their tribes. فَلَمَّا جَاءَ الْإِسْلَامِ اللَّهُ ذَلِكَ كُلَّهُ So when Islam came... It nullified all of this practice, nullified all of this evil of the magic and the sorcerers and the magicians. لكن لا يزال عند بعض البوادي والجهال نوع من هذا الشيء. But the Sheikh says some people, maybe some of the Bedouins, some of those living out in the countrysides away, some of these separated people, they do still have this type of thing going on. The Sheikh says where they do have some of these sorcerers and magicians amongst them in their tribes. And they uh, make them the judge in their affairs. And we know that this is something evil and impermissible. And the narrations are going to come soon, telling us about the impermissibility 
the act which is haram to go to magicians or to sorcerers or to fortune tellers, it is impermissible and haram to go to them or to even see them, to witness them doing their magic and these things even on TV. So all of these things are impermissible and we'll come to that soon insha'Allah. فَلَا يَجُوزُ الذَّهَابِ لَلْكُهَّانِ وَالْمُشَعْوَذِينَ وَالدَّجَّالِينَ لَا لِلْعِلَاجِ وَلَا لِلسُّؤَالِ عَنِ الْأَشْيَاءِ الضَّائِعَةِ وَلَا الْأَشْيَاءِ الْغَائِبَةِ وَهَذَا كُفْرٌ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى So it is not permissible to go to the fortune tellers or to go to these sorcerers, to these liars, الدَّجَّالِينَ these fabricators, liars. It is not permissible to go to them, not even if you need cure. You have some illness or you have something, don't go to those types of people. Or if you've lost something or something has been stolen from you, you don't go to these types of people to ask them, tell us, find out for us where these items are. Because if you do that, you are committing kufr in what Allah has revealed. Allah has revealed in the ayat we just saw that it is not acceptable and permissible to go to these magicians, the ones who sold the Torah for this magic, then they know that they have no place in the hereafter in paradise. So we know it's impermissible to engage in that activity or to go to those types of people. وَلَا يَجُوزُ إِقْرَارُهُمْ وَتَرْكُهُمْ بَلْ يَجِبُ الْقَضَاءَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَإِرَاحَةُ الْبِلَادُ الْعِبَادِ مِنْهُمْ لِأَنَّهُمْ دُعَاتُ كُفْرٍ وَشِرْكٍ يَفْسَدُونَ الْعَقَائِدِ وَيَأْكُلُونَ أَمْوَالَ النَّاسِ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَيَحْدِثُونَ الشَّرْقِ فِي الْأُمَّةِ فَلَا يَجُوزُ تَرْكُهُمْ وَإِقْرَارُهُمْ فَضْلًا عَنِ الذَّهَابِ إِلَيْهِمْ وَتَصْدِيقِهِمْ فِيمَا يَقُولُونَ إِنَّمَا هَذَا مِنْ عَادَاتِ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ كَمَا قَالَ جَابِرٌ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ And the shaykh says, so therefore you cannot go to these types of people because they are calling to kufr and shirk. And they are causing corruption in the aqidah of the people. And they are taking the money of the people in an incorrect and haram manner. So these types of people, the shaykh says, you cannot go to them. And on top of that, not just don't go to them and let them carry on, but they should be dealt with. The shaykh says, these types of people should be dealt with and they should be, uh, the authorities should... Uh, uh, deal with those people and not allow them to carry on upon their evil activities. So these fortune tellers and sorcerers don't tell you anything from themselves. They don't have knowledge of the unseen. Rather it's the shayateen of the jinn who inform them of those things and then they inform you of these things. And they only get that information from the shayateen of the jinn if these magicians and sorcerers humble themselves to those jinn, to those shayateen. They worship them. And so the shayateen get pleased with that and they go and do these jobs for them. This is the shirk that is committed by these people. Then we have this narration, عَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ The Prophet said in the hadith of Abu Hurairah, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ اِجْتَنِبُ السَّبْعَ الْمُوبِقَاتِ Stay away, stay well away from the seven destroying sins, seven destructive sins. قَالُوا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَمَا هُنَّ They said, O Messenger of Allah, what are they? What are these seven sins that will destroy you? What are these seven destructive sins? قَالُوا The Prophet ﷺ said, He said, أَشِّرْكُ بِاللَّهِ the first one that he mentioned from the seven destructive sins is shirk alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the first of the destructive sins. 
First of the sins that destroys a person, shirk. Committing shirk, worshipping others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, associating others in partnership to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the greatest of all of the sins. Akbarul kabair. The greatest of all of the sins. Wa'a'adhamul mubiqat. And the greatest of the destructive sins. Wa'a'adhamu dhambin usiyallahu bih. And it is the greatest sin that you can do against Allah, committing shirk. That is the greatest sin that can be done. And this shirk, what is it? It is ibadatu ghayrillah. It is worshipping others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. بِأَنْ يُصْرِفَ لَهُ شَيْءً مِنَ الْعِبَادَةِ إِمَّا دُعَاءً وَإِسْتِغَاثَةً By redirecting any form of your worship to others besides Allah, you're committing shirk. By doing any form of worship to others besides Allah, then this is shirk, it is impermissible. Slaughtering for others besides Allah, vowing for others besides Allah as we've seen, seeking aid and protection in others besides Allah as we've seen. Many things that we've now covered already, a person does those things to other than Allah, then that person is committing a form of shirk. And shirk as we've seen before, if a person dies upon it, then you cannot be forgiven. That Allah does not forgive that you die upon shirk, but He forgives what is lesser than that, other than that, to whom He wills. Then, the second destructive sin which is mentioned. First one of the seven was ashirku billah. Then, after that, it is mentioned, as-sihar, magic. Magic is mentioned as the second item here. Magic is mentioned as the second item. Ashirk, as-sihar. Was-sihar, why is it mentioned as the second highest thing straight after shirk? Because magic itself is shirk too. Magic itself is shirk and kufr. And in that case, if magic itself is shirk and kufr, then why has it been mentioned here? Doesn't it come under the first destructive sin anyway then? The first, the, here the hadith says seven destructive sins. Seven sins that destroy you. The first one shirk. The second one magic. But magic is shirk anyway. So why is this one mentioned as number two? That's part of number one anyway. So why? A lot of people do it when they don't take it seriously. It is to highlight the importance of it then. To highlight the danger and the severity of this affair. So many people, they fall into these issues of magic and sorcerers and fortune tellers. So here it's been mentioned specifically by itself as well, magic. Even though yes, it's a part of number one, it is shirk as well. But specifically mentioned here now to highlight to you the importance of it, the danger of it. So to emphasize that and to bring that to your attention, particularly due to the severity and the danger of it, that you must stay away from this magic. Then number three, which is mentioned, وَقَتْلُ النَّفْسِ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ To kill a person that Allah has made forbidden upon you to kill. To kill a person that Allah has made forbidden upon you to kill. Unless with due right. The due right, that is under the leader and the, uh, the one under, in authority. 
for example, somebody kills someone, then Islamically, the murderer can be given the capital punishment. That is an Islamic ruling. The one who kills somebody else, murders someone else, he's a murderer. He is convicted of killing, then capital punishment is upon that person. But that is for the ruler to establish that, not for the people to establish it themselves. So that is with right. But outside of those types of examples, then without right, here that is a destructive sin. To murder and to kill the people, innocent people, to go and commit these acts is a major sin and it is one of the destroying, destructive sins as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned here. So for example, killing the believers, killing other Muslims, killing people who live under your covenant. There may be people who are not Muslims, but they live in the Muslim country with an agreement and they are working, they have a contract with that government, that Muslim government. Then they have protection. They have protection to live there and to work there. They have a contract with that particular Muslim country, the government of that country. They are working there. They are Whatever their job is, whatever their field is, they are now living under the protection and the contract of that country, that Muslim country. Therefore, it is impermissible to go and kill them. Haram to go and kill them. And there you see the evil act of the khawarij. That's exactly what they do. They go and target sometimes the westerners or non-Muslims living in these Muslim countries. They go and blow up their compounds or they go and take them hostages. Particularly, especially because they want people from the west or from here or from there. That is haram. Here we are being told in this hadith, it is impermissible to kill someone like that. Haram to kill somebody who is living under the covenant, under the contract, under the agreement. He is living in a Muslim country, he may be not Muslim. He may not be Muslim himself, no problem. If he's not Muslim, meaning that he has the covenant and the contract. Yes, he should be upon Islam and everybody should be practicing Islam. But if a non-Muslim is living in that country, then he's under the contract, he's under the covenant of that country then it is not permissible to go and kill that person to take him hostage as these takfiris, these kharijis, the likes of ISIS do. So here we see the Salafi methodology. It prohibits those types of acts. Prohibits those types of acts and killing the people and taking their blood, taking their wealth, taking their honor. This type of transgression against the people is not permissible. So the believers, a Muslim for example, it's not permissible for you to go and kill other Muslims. It's not permissible for you to go and kill other non-Muslims. You can't just go and commit murder and killing. <coughs> this is mentioned in this hadith as one of the destructive sins. So we see how dangerous and severe and evil and misguided are the actions of those Kharijis, Takfiris, the likes of ISIS. Then the fourth destructive sin which is mentioned... وَأَكْلُ riba, Taking interest. Like you have interest in the bank accounts. Taking that interest, accepting it, letting it go into your bank account, thinking my money is going up. They're putting interest onto everything I put in there. So I'm getting that few percent extra. That is haram to take that interest. This addition, this extra, this money that they put into it, this interest, it is impermissible to take. You can't make trade based upon interest. You can't put the money in and get interest on your accounts. Interest is not permissible Islamically. So even in your business and in your trade, you can't do contracts within your business and trade based upon interest. 
and the money going up and down on interest that you're going to charge somebody extra, which is the interest on top. You can't do that type of thing. Even where people try to be deceptive. They try to be deceptive to get interest out of someone. And maybe we mentioned this example before, but we'll mention it again. Let's say now, two people, they want to get engaged in some trade. Or not trade, let's say one of the people is a poor man. One person is poor. He comes to the other person who's rich. So person A is poor. He comes to person B who's rich. Person A, the poor one, says to the rich one, I need to borrow a thousand pounds. The rich one's got it. Give it to him right now, he's got it in his pocket. But the rich person doesn't want to hand over a thousand pounds because he knows Islamically, he can't say to the poor person, okay, but when are you going to pay me back? If it's in a year's time, then I want some interest on top. I want 1,100 back in a year's time then. I want to make something from this deal. You can't do that. Haram interest. You can't say to the guy, I will lend you a thousand pounds, but in a year's time, you're going to pay me back. I want 1,200 back. You can't do it. Interest. Haram. So now the rich person, he's not really happy about it. He doesn't want to give a thousand pounds and only get a thousand back later. He wants to make something out of this deal. He'll give the thousand pounds to him, but he wants to get a couple of hundred out for himself too at the end. But he knows he can't make that contract with the person. That would be impermissible. So then they do some deception. The rich man says to the poor man, think about this example. He says to the poor man, I'll sell you my car. The rich man says to the poor man, I'll sell you my car. So the poor man agrees to buy the car. But the agreement they make is that the poor man is going to pay the rich man in a year's time. So the rich man says to the poor man, I'll sell you my car for £1,200. That's the contract. They write it out. £1,200 is what I'm going to sell you my car for. And they make the deal and it's done. And the deal is the poor man has to pay the rich man in one year. He's got a year to pay off that £1,200 for the car. So far you would think it doesn't make any sense. The poor man came asking for money. Now he's even more debt. He's bought a car for £1,200 which he's going to have to pay back in a year's time. So far it's not looking good for the poor man. Right now he's even more worse, worse off than he started with. Now he's in debt for another £1,200 he's got to pay in a year's time. He hasn't got anything yet. He came to the rich man looking for cash. He needed cash in hand right now. So now the car has been sold to the poor man. Even though the car isn't there. Poor man's never seen the car. The car is in the rich man's house in the garage somewhere miles away. In the next city somewhere. No one's even seen that. The poor man's never seen it. But they've made the contract and now the poor man, he is the owner of the car. Then straight away after that contract, the rich man says, I'll make you another deal now. I'll buy the car back off you. The car now belongs to the poor man. He says, I'll buy the car back off you for a grand. Even now you think it's not making any sense. He's just bought it for 1200 Why is he going to sell it for a grand? But the deal is the rich man says, I'll buy the car off you for 1000 in cash right now. In cash right now, I'll buy the car back from you. So the poor man agrees. 
He sells the car back even though the car hasn't moved anywhere. It's still sat in the garage miles away. The poor man agrees the deal. The new deal is made. The rich man hands over 1,000 in cash and the poor man sells the car back to the rich man. Now what situation are we left with? The poor man has a thousand pounds in his hand. The rich man, he owns the car again. There's one more part of the whole thing left over. Not 200. 200, but in a year's time, what does the poor man have to give to the rich man? The 1200 pounds from the original deal when he bought the car. So in a year's time, the rich man is going to end up with 1200 in his hand. So cut all of it out, in the end what's happened? In the end, what's happened is the poor man has got his 1,000 pounds in his hand and he's going to pay back 1,200 in a year's time. They've just put this car thing in the middle of it to make it look like it was a deal and transaction. Everybody get it? So the poor man, he comes and he buys the rich man's car for 1,200 pounds and the deal is he's going to pay him in a year's time. Then the rich man buys the car back straight away for 1,000 pounds there and then in cash. So now the poor man has his thousand pounds, he's got what he wanted. In a year's time though, he's got to pay off his original contract of twelve hundred pounds to the rich man. So he's going to pay him twelve hundred pounds in a year's time. So really all that's happened is, he's taken a grand now, and he's going to pay back twelve hundred in a year's time. What about the grand he takes That twelve hundred pounds he pays back in a year's time, that's that one grand, plus two hundred extra, which is really interest. That's really what it is then in the end. The extra 200 the rich man is getting in a year's time is interest. But they've deceived or they've tried to deceive themselves out of interest by pretending there was no interest. I sold my car for 1200 Then I bought it back for 1000 That 200 pounds was just the transaction in the deals. There was no interest anywhere. He bought the car for 1200 He's paying for the car. So that's what they tried to do. It's a deception. It's a type of thing mentioned in the books of the fuqaha. So the point being, even if using that type of deception... Because there nobody even saw the car. The, the poor man never even touched the car, never even saw the car. That's just a deception. I'll sell you my car now for 1200 in a year's time, but I'll give you 1000 now to buy it back. So in the end, the rich man is making 200 pounds at the end. That's interest. There's no real transaction, there's no real deal, nothing's happened. It's just a contract that they've made up to get out of, looking like interest. So all of this interest, whatever the type of it is, it is impermissible to take. Uh, it is impermissible to uh, uh, engage in activities of interest, and that is mentioned as the fourth destructive sin here. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in some of the narrations how he saw the people who used to take interest being punished in the fire. The fifth one which is mentioned, Wrongfully taking the wealth of an orphan. Wrongfully taking the wealth of an orphan. The orphan is who? That is a child whose father dies before the child has reached the age of puberty. A child who has not reached the age of puberty yet, if his father dies and the child has not reached the age of puberty yet, that child is an orphan, even if his mother is alive. Islamically speaking, if the father dies before the child reaches puberty, that child is an orphan. If the mother dies, then the child is not an orphan. Islamically speaking, we're talking about the death of the father before the child reaches the age of puberty. So those orphans, in the Quran, in the Sunnah, we have been told 
to behave in the good manner towards the orphan, towards the one whose father dies and he's at a young age. So it's upon the Muslims to uh, look after those young children who may have lost their fathers at the young age, to guard over them, to look after them, and to uh, do good towards them. As for a person deceptively taking the wealth of that orphan, stealing the money that is his rightfully, taking it and doing things for himself with it, that type of deception, that type of taking the wealth of the orphans is one of the destructive sins. That is mentioned as the fifth destructive sin, taking the wealth of the orphans and abusing it and using it for yourself. The sixth one which is mentioned, At-Tawalli Yawm Zahf. That is running away, turning your back on the battlefield. When the battle is occurring, somebody who runs away, the deserters, those deserters are also committing one of these major sins. The ones who are deserters and they run away at the time of the battle when the battle is occurring. The seventh destructive sin which is mentioned, وَقَذْفُ الْمُحْسَنَاتِ الْغَافِلَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ That is to accuse pious and chaste women of being unchaste. Accusing chaste women, pious women, who are upon chastity, accusing them of fornicating or committing adultery, committing those evil acts, accusing them wrongfully of that, making those accusations, making that slander against the chaste and pious women who have not committed those acts at all. This type of accusation upon a woman is from the major sins. Accusing them and they are chaste. They are upon chastity, but you accuse them of otherwise. That is mentioned as one of the destructive types of sins. Because it is upon a Muslim to guard his tongue and not to accuse others of fornication or uh, other evil affairs of that nature and to uh, accuse them and to blame them of that without any proof and without any justification. That's why it's mentioned that it requires four witnesses. Four witnesses to testify against somebody committing that act. And if it's less than that, the people who come, they are the ones who are punished. It requires four witnesses to establish that. Not just anybody come along and start accusing people, this one's a fornicator, this one's an adulterer. So the point of this narration was, they are the seven destructive sins. The point of the narration was, the second part, that from the seven destructive sins, the second one mentioned was magic. Magic is one of those destructive sins. It is one of those sins that destroys a person, destroys him, his family, his community. Magic, that's what it does. It is one of the destroying sins. And also the one who engages in it, then this is kufr and shirk. So this is of the severe and dangerous matter. So this therefore indicates to us it is impermissible to learn magic. It is impermissible and haram to learn magic or to teach magic, or to act upon magic, or to practice magic. All of that is impermissible. Why? Because the narration says, Stay well away from seven destroying sins. One of them magic. So if you have to stay well away from it, that means you can't learn it, you can't practice it, you can't teach other people it, you can't get engaged in it, you can't watch it. The hadith says, stay well away from it. Every type of staying away, 
Therefore you can't learn it, you can't teach it, you can't watch it, you can't do anything. You have to stay well away from magic and fortune tellers altogether. Thanian, also this hadith tells us that we must stay well away from the other sins that are mentioned. The six other sins mentioned in this hadith from the evil sins, then a person must stay away from those evil sins. They are destructive sins also. Then after that we have the hadith of Jundub. Jundub ibn Abdullah al-Jabali. He says, al-Bajali. He says, حَدُّ السَّاحِرِ ضَرْبَةً That the punishment of a magician is the capital punishment. The punishment of a magician is the capital punishment. And that is, like we said, under the Islamic rule where there is a ruler, uh, the, the state, the government, the authority, they carry out these punishments, the legal authorities. Not anybody on the street you can go and do this. That is the way of the khawarij and the takfiris. These rulings are established by the ruler, by the authority, the legal authority. They are the ones who perform this uh, where they perform it. So here it's mentioned that the ruling of the magician is the capital punishment that he is to be killed. Because the magicians, they cause corruption upon the earth. The magicians, they cause corruption upon the earth. فَالسَّاحِرُ مُفْسِدٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ يَجِبُ قَتْلُهُ وَأَيْضًا هُوَ كَافِرٌ وَالْكَافِرُ يَجِبُ قَتْلُهُ So the magicians, they are disbelievers and they are uh, people causing the corruption upon the earth. So within the Muslim land, if they are present there and the ruler of that land, the legal authority, then they can establish the capital punishment upon them. وَفِي صَحِيحِ الْبُخَارِ And it's mentioned also in صَحِيحِ الْبُخَارِ عن, عن بجالة ابن عبدة قال كتب عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه أن اقتلوا كل ساحر مصاحرة قال فقتلنا ثلاث سواحر It's mentioned in صَحِيحِ الْبُخَارِ From بجالة ابن عبدة Said that عمر بن الخطاب أمير المؤمنين رضي الله عنه At that time he wrote a letter to everyone saying Kill the, ma- the magicians and the um, uh, sorceresses the male magicians, the female magicians. The leader, he was the leader, the legal authority. And he appointed his deputies to go and perform that act. And this again indicates to the severity of the affair upon the magicians. And he says then the narrator, we killed three of the magicians. So, this indicates to you how severe the act of magic is, how dangerous the act of magic is, and the ruling upon the one who is a magician. Wasaha. عن حفصة رضي الله عنها أنها أمرت بقتل جارية لها سحرتها فقتلت It is mentioned from حفصة حفصة who was the daughter of Umar ibn Khattab رضي الله عنها that she uh, commanded to have the capital punishment established upon a, a slave girl that she used to have who had committed magic upon her so that slave girl was engaged in magic. And so the ruling again from this companion was death upon that person. Capital punishment again. So this indicates to you how severe they were with regards to the magicians. Ahmad, Imam Ahmad mentions, صَحَّ عَنْ ثَلَاثَةٍ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ It has been proven from three of the companions of the Prophet Umar ibn Khattab, Hafsa, radiallahu anha, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, Hafsa, Umm al-Mu'mineen radiallahu anha, and Jundub 
radiallahu anhu, it is mentioned from them that they all established that ruling upon the magicians. So, this indicates to you the ruling upon the magician, the sorcerers, the fortune tellers, that shows to you how dangerous their actions are, how much damage and corruption they can cause, and this was the ruling established in Islam upon them, that the legal authority can carry out uh, where it is implementable. So that indicates to you therefore, the impermissibility of engaging in magic, the impermissibility of learning magic, the impermissibility of watching magic, the impermissibility of going anywhere near magic. And at the same time it tells you how severe the ruling is upon the one who engages in magic. The one who is upon that practice of magic and magicians, the sorceresses, those types of affairs, how the Sahaba, they dealt with them, and how they uh, established the capital punishment upon them, mentioned from three of the companions. So this all indicates to you just how dangerous this is. So nobody should take this lightheartedly, thinking that magicians is no big deal, you can watch it, you can see the videos, it is not permissible, it is haram to watch the videos of magicians and magic, uh, and so that is something that should be avoided, and everybody should understand the severity of it. And that's where we'll conclude that end of chapter today. And inshallah we'll begin with the next chapter, which is still about magic yet. More chapters coming about magic yet. We'll begin with that next chapter next week. And that will be at 8.30 p.m. Because the prayer here will be at 8.15. So then after that, straight after the prayer at 8.30 p.m., we'll begin the lesson next week inshallah ta'ala. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين